is here with great purpose today. Several of us feel the weight of what he wants to accomplish in this house. He is a good, good father. Children and young people, you may be dismissed quietly at this time. Go to your classes. The rest of us may notice that a theme has been developing over the last few services. On Sunday, Brother Jake, and I'm not going as far back as I could, but on last Sunday, Brother Jake preached a great message about how we value things in our lives. And I sat in the service going, don't use this scripture reference. Don't use that scripture reference because that's my sermon. And then Sister Shayla preached on Sunday, or on Wednesday, about perspective and how we look at things and how we appreciate the things that we're looking at. And I said, don't use that scripture reference. It's my sermon. No, it's the word of God. There is nothing new under the sun, but the Lord will direct people at times to stay in certain veins of message because it's what we need to hear. Um, at the beginning of this year, actually the end of last year, the Lord gave me a phrase like he does almost every year. Going into this year, the phrase that he gave me that I made my screensaver is undivided attention. Undivided attention. Now, in December when I received that word, I didn't have any idea that our attention would be limited to our house for a while. That we would experience such social and cultural change around this pandemic and I'm just going to be honest it's been my screensaver undivided attention and I have bypassed it to get to things that were stealing my attention valuing the things of God changing our perspective today I want to turn our attention to Psalm 34 and 1 I've spoken from this chapter before. I, I love this chapter. I, I enjoy reading it aloud to myself or to others, and it's encouraging. And it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord, and the humble that shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together.
I was waking up one day a few weeks ago, I can't tell you exactly when it was, but I reached over to a notepad on my nightstand and I started to write the word the Lord had dropped in my spirit for today's message. It was early November. It was, it was magnify. Magnify. Magnify the Lord. So today I want to talk to you about what that word really means. Magnify. Jesus, I thank you that you are here with purpose, that you've come to meet each and every one of us, to meet us where we are and to help us with a realignment of what we magnify in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that your word is anointed, that the anointing destroys every yoke of bondage from this world and the sin that's in it. God, I pray that your anointing would flow freely in this house today, that you would anoint me as I speak to speak what it is that you want said today. Anoint every ear to hear and to understand what you want to speak into their lives in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And I have been thinking about this word, magnify. Magnify. I, we quote this all the time. We sing it all the time. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. In fact, if you start searching that verse in a lyrics database, you'll come up with dozens of songs because it's this encouraging and engaging uh, 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 encouragement to praise. The psalmist could have said so many other things here. Oh, praise the Lord with me. Oh, extol the Lord with me. Oh, exalt the Lord with me. Oh, sing unto the Lord with me. Oh, demonstrate a praise to the Lord with me. But instead, he chose the word magnify. There are any number of things that the psalmist could have incited his fellow worshipers to do, but the word is magnify. What does that word even mean? So when we're talking about Old Testament scripture, we can often go back to the Hebrew and find some hidden deep meaning that's underlying the English translation. And so I went to the Hebrew and it, it means, get ready for this deep translation. It means to cause to be large. To make large. The same thing that our English word magnify means. And suddenly it came to me, Pastor, this scripture makes no sense. <laughs> makes no sense. God is already infinite. He has no beginning and no ending. He exists in dimensions that humans haven't even discovered yet. And he fills those dimensions just like he fills this dimension. He's in every place and outside of every measure of time that has ever existed or will ever exist. He is infinite. We cannot make him bigger. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. We can't. We are incapable of making him any bigger than he already is. So why are we encouraged 
to magnify the Lord when that is an absolute impossibility for us as finite humans. I'm stealing from Shayla, and I bought a, brought a prop. I ordered this before you preached on Wednesday. I'm just... This is a toy magnifying glass, and I bought a toy because then I'll donate it to the kids' ministries department, and then they'll have a magnifying glass. But, and it's big enough that you can see exactly what it is. This uh, magnifying glass is built, it, even though it's a toy, it still works. I can make you bigger. My eye is probably huge right now to you. Okay? So I looked up what this does. Why do people use magnifying glasses? And so I ended up on a website called wonderopolis.com. Wonderopolis.com, just to give attribution. Magnifying glasses make objects appear larger because they're convex lenses. And it even, for, for those of us who don't understand science, it even gives a definition. Convex means curved outward. Refract or bend light rays so that they converge or come together. In essence, magnifying glasses trick your eyes into seeing something differently than it really exists. When light bounces off an object, travels to your eyes, those light rays travel parallel to each other. But when they pass through a magnifying glass, this lens bends those parallel rays so they converge and create a virtual image on your retinas. Is everybody still with me? The virtual image on your retinas appears larger than the real object due to the principles of geometry, everybody's favorite subject. Due to the magnifying glass, your eyes trace the light rays back in parallel lines to the virtual image. Since the virtual image is farther from your eyes than the object is, the object appears bigger. If you want to read that again later to understand it, I'm happy to give you my notes. Basically, this lens is curved in such a way that it twists the light rays that are, that are messaging to your brain, messaging to your eyes, and makes something appear larger than it actually is. Have you ever noticed and when, you're, when you're driving and the bottom of the mirror says objects might be closer than they actually are? It's a different principle. It's the opposite principle. It's giving you more vision of a broader space by reversing the magnification principle. What is super interesting to me is that magnification is a trick of the focus. It's a trick of the eye. A magnifying glass alters what is being viewed to make what is small appear larger. Again, why would we need to magnify a God who is already infinite? He's not small. We don't need to make him big. He already exists as big. To magnify God does nothing whatsoever to his greatness or to his ability. We can't change his attributes, but our perception of his greatness and his ability and his attributes is significantly altered when we magnify him. So let's keep that in mind. Why do people use magnifying glasses? 
This is the participatory part. To make, make things look larger. Absolutely. Anything else? Anybody use one of these when you were a kid? Start a fire. That's right. When the energy flows through the lens, oh, come on, somebody. When we magnify the Lord, man, he can start a fire. Why else? Did you ever get in science class get magnifying glasses out? How about this? How about a microscope? What were you doing? You're studying the detail of finite things. Tiny details that are undiscoverable until we start to magnify. So some people might use magnifiers for reading. If you buy cheaters at the dollar store, you, you're magnifying what you're reading. I'm not going to ask those of you to raise your hand who do that. Um, if you are in your science class and you're looking at bugs and butterflies, I'm not talking about burning the ants. Let's not do that. But if you're studying a butterfly's wing, for example, you get out a magnifying glass and you're looking at it to see what it's made up of and how it looks and what that detail level is. Um, my, I, I had back surgery last year. That surgery was a microscopic surgery. They inserted a microscope into my spine and they were doing, uh, with little microscopic tools, they made uh, changes in my back. And so people use magnifying glasses for a lot of different reasons. This is only useful within this round circle. I'm going to name this circle for us today and call it the zone of magnification. This circle is the zone of magnification. The only way this tool can be useful is if what we want to magnify fits inside this circle. Everything around it becomes the periphery. Everything around it becomes a little blurry when I look through this. I can't focus on you and focus on what's in here at the same time. So I've got to focus on the zone of magnification in order to see it clearly. If I just hold it out here, you'd, nothing, it, it doesn't work. But if I pull it in and I start looking, all of a sudden you come into focus. I can only zoom in on what's in the zone of magnification. And like all our principles of the physical realm, we can bring this into the spiritual realm. This concept of magnification is representative of spiritual truth. Inside ourselves, we have a zone of magnification. Many people call it our thought life. What we focus on our self-talk, our attention, what we pay attention to, this is all part of the zone of magnification. I'm magnifying something that I pay attention to, and this inner life is where we cultivate our present and future identity. I shape my own self through what I magnify through what I pay attention to. Minute by minute, I'm choosing what I magnify. And believe me, you are magnifying something. I'm focused on something. 
It may be what I intend to focus on, and I may be really intentional with my life and my attention to focus on the thing that really matters to me, or I could just be focusing on something because it's taking so much of my attention, whether I intentionally mean to do that or not. Sometimes we just let life happen to us, and life is in charge of where our attention goes instead of us taking that decision, making that choice, taking that decision, that's very French, making that decision to, uh, to, to decide what it is we're going to focus on. So I want to be very clear because it's easy to think, well, Jesus should fill this whole zone of magnification. If we want to magnify the Lord, he should be all that we see. God designed it's so that we are centrally focused on him. But you know what else fits in this zone of magnification? If you're, if you're right on with God, if you're magnifying the right things, you will also be taking care of your family, your, your spiritual responsibilities, your physical responsibilities. That's all part of God's plan too. So we don't focus on God to the exclusion of our family or to the exclusion of everything else, to the exclusion of the work that we need to do to sustain our lives. Everything, as long as the priorities are right, can fit in this zone of magnification, but we keep Christ central. I say that because there, there are some times that I think people get off a little bit on, uh, on the wrong path to think that Jesus excludes everything else, and that's, that's just not quite biblical. He created us to be in a family. He created us to work. He created us to do good things with our lives. And we can magnify God and have all those other priorities in order. So maybe right now you're at a place where he is in full focus and his kingdom and his priorities are filling your zone of magnification. And you are studying him in great detail. And that is awesome for you. Keep doing that. That's what you need to do. You're in no need of realignment. So would you just, if you're going to tune out at any point, tune out now and just start praying for those who need a realignment. Because we do. We can magnify anything. And people choose to magnify things that, in our human sense, we would say are good or bad, or maybe even neutral. We can magnify our blessings. Thanksgiving is coming. I'm thankful that Thanksgiving is coming. We tend to thank God for all these feel-good things in life, this this comfortable home, this warm uh, uh, place to live, a, a comfortable place to sleep, that we thank God for the, the food that we eat, that we have an abundance. We thank God for the family around us that we have a good relationship with. We, th we can thank God for the things that make our lives easier. That even... If we start magnifying this and setting it in great detail, maybe we start thinking, you know what, I've got it pretty good. I'm a lot more blessed than so-and-so. These blessings are 
keeping me very comfortable. And we start to magnify the blessing above the blesser. I'll give you some examples. The rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 came to Jesus and asked to be part of his disciples, asked to be part of what Jesus was doing here in the earth. The one thing that Jesus saw that was a, just a little hitch for the rich young ruler was that his trust was in his blessings, his material blessings. His magnification was on high for the things that he had. And when Jesus said, sure, you could be a disciple, just go sell everything that you have. Just stop depending on the material blessings that you have and depend on me. He couldn't handle that because his zone of magnification was completely full of what he had and his possessions ended up possessing him. I've seen other people magnify blessings, blessings in less obvious ways. I know a couple who built a bigger home so that their kids could have their own room and they'd have a yard to play in and they took pictures and they posted all over Facebook and Instagram how God had blessed them with this great house. What they didn't say was all of the the Sundays that they ended up missing at church because they were working two jobs to pay for the new house that God had blessed them with. They didn't talk about the missions giving that they were no longer able to participate in because now everything had to go to the mortgage payment. If something takes you from the work of the kingdom, from life in the kingdom, from the support of the kingdom, it is not a blessing. It's a distraction. We gotta be real, real, real careful. What makes me more comfortable does not always bless me. Because their zone of magnification was focused on a material comfort, the kingdom became periphery. We can magnify work. God created us to work. Even Adam, living in a perfect garden, was given a job. Keep this garden. Because work is good for us. But sometimes we magnify work as being glorious in and of itself. Whether it's our job or our kingdom work. I'm going to say that one more time. It could be our job outside of church or it could be kingdom work. Work. And we find a great deal of satisfaction in jobs being done well. Maybe even in the accolades or the money that we gain through the work that we do. And feeling good about the rewards of work is something God created in us. But like all things, when work fills the zone of magnification, we're out of balance. When work comes before God. Work comes before kingdom. Work comes before loving or taking care of my family. Work is put before everything else. We're out of balance. We're misaligned. Our our magnification is misaligned. Ask, Ask Peter. 
you know, after Jesus died, he'd been in relationship with Jesus for a long time. He had a close relationship with God, but when things didn't go his way, and when he was convinced that things were over and that Jesus' story was done, he just went back to work. Back to what he knew. He was a commercial fisherman. He found satisfaction in that job. And so he went back to a place that was comfortable instead of seeking what the Lord wanted him to do with that time. Work can become an escape from focusing on the Lord, especially when we are disappointed or when we're in one area of our life, we know that things are off, so we turn all of our attention to work. Or the Lord's tapping us on the shoulder, saying, hey, come, come away with me. Come talk to me. And instead of doing that, we find a kingdom task to accomplish. This is going to help the church. So it's like being with God. No, it's not like being with God. There's nothing that can substitute for that exchange with Jesus. Amen. Work does not save us. Amen. People have a lot of motives for changing their field of focus, and I don't want to assume anybody's motive, but the reality remains the same no matter what our reason. I cannot substitute work for relationship with God can't substitute work for relationship with my family. Sometimes we glorify our own skills and strengths and abilities. We only need to look to Samson for a cautionary tale of what can happen when we become great believers in our own abilities and we get loosey-goosey with our relationship with God. We forget that he's the one who gave us the ability that he's the one who wakes us up in the morning, every morning, so that we can live and work in that ability. Suddenly, we think we're responsible for our own successes because we're the ones who developed these gifts, you know. I'm the one who leverages this skill in the workplace or this skill in the kingdom. And we forget he's the source. This magnification of self cost Samson his strength, his vision, and eventually his life. Now, I just talked about how family is part of the priorities that God wants us to have in the zone of magnification. But we can magnify family and friends to the exclusion of the king. Rehoboam was the third king of Israel. He was the son of the great king Solomon. And when he faced a crucial governmental decision, he heard the advice of the elders that had advised his father. And then he sought the advice of his friends and his peers. And his focus was put entirely on the acceptance of his friends and those that he cared about their opinions, his peers. Not once does the Bible tell us that Rehoboam sought the Lord about this decision. He never prayed about it. He never talked to God. He just decided to go with what his friends said. 
when we magnify the opinion of our friends or our family above seeking the will of God, we're out of balance. Now, none of these things by themselves are bad or negative. They only become idolatrous when we put them above God. There are some negative things that we magnify. Everybody point at me. Point at me. Say, she's talking to herself. And anything that splashes over is just an accident. I'm not talking to anybody in, in particular, but I know what the Lord told me to speak to. We can magnify sickness. Obviously, sickness and disease can harm us. And serious illness should be taken seriously. But when we begin to magnify the symptoms of our physical condition, and we fill our zone of magnification with, I don't feel good, never going to feel good, the doctor's prognosis said this, this treatment is making me uncomfortable. That's all I can see. The aches and pains in the morning the recovery of the surgery, whatever it is. And it doesn't even have to be us. Maybe we're preoccupied with a loved one's illness. And all we can focus on is what's pulling them down. Serious illness should be taken seriously. But not to the exclusion of the great physician. If I change my focus from the doctor's diagnosis to the promises of God, it changes everything. My attitude begins to change. You know, there's scientific proof that your attitude makes a big difference in how well you do physically. If I can cultivate an attitude of gratitude saying, Jesus, I might be hurting, but I'm alive. I might be hurting, but I'm breathing, and you still have purpose for me as long as there's breath in my body. If I can turn my attention to the purpose of God, then my own focus shifts, and I begin to magnify him. The man at the gate beautiful in Acts 3 had been disabled for a long time. He'd lived in that condition, he had accepted it, and he was getting along the best way that he knew how, begging those who were entering the temple to give him a little money. And so when Peter and John came along, that's exactly what he did. He asked for some money. And Peter began to push him, to magnify, to focus on the possibility of healing. Peter literally shifted his attention from his need, from his disease from his painful situation to the possibility that he could be healed. And this man, to his credit, realigned his zone of magnification in a moment. And he accepted the healing as it came. And as Peter reached for him, he, he used his own strength to get up as the Lord gave him healing in his body. And he jumped and leapt for joy 
magnifying God. God's power never changed. But it had been experienced by a new magnifier. We can magnify our needs. Most of us are easily overwhelmed by feelings of inadequacy when we find ourselves or our families in need. You know, first thought, maybe we think about the need of provision of life's most basic resources, or maybe it's an emotional need of help to navigate a depression or anxiety or explosive anger or loneliness. Whatever need we have, it's very easy to allow that need to fill our entire focus. But when I magnify my need, I push the way maker to the periphery. When I make my need bigger than I make my God in my life, the need wins. I have to keep God central. I was talking to a friend last night, and she said, you know, I trust God. There's a big situation going on, but I trust the Lord, and he is faithful. We don't have to speak words that destroy our faith. We should speak words that build our faith and build others' faith. You know what? I might be scared, but I know who's in charge. I might not know where that money is coming from to pay that bill, but I know who my father is. And he knows I'm doing my very best on my end, and he's going to do his best for me. I don't want to glorify my need. I don't want to glorify my sickness. I want to glorify God, the source of everything that I need. We can glorify ourselves. My mom used a phrase, and I've probably said it from the pulpit, but when I was a little kid and my brother was little, I throw him in there because I'll throw him under the bus too. We both got this. Well, you've got a little attitude problem. I want when I want, how I want it. Now, I never acted like that. I don't know why she said that. But in our immaturity sometimes, we make ourselves the focus of our lives. My comfort. My feelings, my ideas, my opinions. And I know all of us have identified a little bit with this, and you might not, you might not pick the example that I feel like the Lord gave me to talk about this one. But Judas was self-absorbed. He had all the opportunity in the world to be a solid disciple, to love Jesus, to learn from him. But he had a penchant for what he could gain. And so when the woman came to worship at the feet of Jesus and broke an alabaster box that was of great value, his first thought was what he was missing out on by not having the value of that in his own pocket. Instead of walking alongside his friend and mentor, Jesus, through the most difficult time of his human existence, 
He was the one who sold him out. He thought about what he could personally gain from the betrayal of Jesus Christ. He was so self-absorbed, so focused on his own failures in this case, that instead of turning to God for forgiveness, instead of choosing to realign his focus once he realized what he had done, he allowed that focus on self to convince him that he would never be any good. He was so self-absorbed that he took his own life instead of turning to the one who could turn his life around. The world says, do more of what makes you happy. Sounds great. But that means that we've decided that our feelings matter more than what God wants with our lives. The word would say more, something like this, do more of what makes you holy and acceptable to God. Finally, we can magnify sin. Remember, you're still pointing at me. But this is where we all can relate, that sin that begins with the lust of our flesh and the lust of our eyes and the pride of life. Sin is like a self-absorbed diva diva who can't stand for the audience's attention to go anywhere but her or him. I know some male divas. They fight for attention. They want to be, sin wants to be the center stage, pulling you in like a magnet. And if we don't break away from the pull, that sin will fill our zone of magnification. Long before we ever do the act, we're thinking about it. We're focusing on it. Sorry, I. Long before I ever. And once again, we push God to the periphery of our focus so that we can accomplish in our flesh the things that the Bible says will bring death and sow corruption. David was a great man of God, but he was not perfect. He wanted to please God. When he was living intentionally, he, he, he tried to do what God was asking him to do, but somewhere inside, he had not died out to sin. He hadn't given it all up yet, and all it took was catching a sight of a beautiful woman bathing, minding her own business. And he began to magnify his sinful thoughts, until they completely overtook him. And instead of running from sin while he still had a chance, he invited the possibility of sin right into his house. Invitation is, a wrong, is really the wrong word. He commanded her to come, to be there, to be present. Present yourself before the king. And David showed no restraint. Make no mistake that David sinned greatly. He imposed his will on her. And with his heart still focused away from the Lord when the situation presented itself where she was now pregnant and her husband had been away at battle for a really long time so everybody knew it wouldn't be his. 
commanded that that man be killed so he could bring this woman into his own home. Sin, when it fills our zone of magnification, when we begin to make it bigger in our, in our own vision, it will take over. And God becomes secondary to what our flesh desires. Took the voice of the prophet to call David to an inner realignment, to a check of who and what he had magnified in his life. And to David's credit, he chose to focus again on the Lord. You know, he was many things, but he was humble enough to repent. You know, when we, when we do give ourselves to sin, on the rare occasion as a Christian that we give ourselves to sin, don't wait to repent. Don't let that pride fester in you so that it becomes a wall and an obstacle between you and God. Shift that zone of magnification back where it needs to be. Magnify Jesus, repent of your sins, and change your life. Amen. Don't wait. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. And this is the key. This is not a static object. Magnifying glasses can be moved. Just because I'm looking over here doesn't mean I can't change and start looking in this direction. What I magnify in my life can change. And Jesus is here today to help you change. He's here today to help me realign my focus and let him fill the zone of magnification with himself and his priorities. Let's all stand. What am I magnifying? Think back. What, what have your thoughts been filled up with this week? What's taking up your heart space? A better measure is what's taking up your time? What's filling these resources that God has given you? What's pushing God and his kingdom to the periphery? Lord, am I hung up on focusing on anything good, bad, or neutral that keeps me from focusing on you? What am I magnifying and enlarging in my own vision that you want to move out of the way so that I can see you clearly and crisply? What keeps me from studying him from studying his word from learning about him in detail cultivating a close relationship and understanding of his attributes and his nature all it takes is a little movement a change in attitude did you know attitude is a physical word in English, we use it as an, as an emotional word to realign what we're feeling on the inside, but attitude is really a physical word. It's a shift of attitude. 
to turning, just like repentance. Repentance is turning. It's changing direction. It's deciding, you know what, what filled up my zone of magnification before I came to church today is not going to be what fills my zone of magnification when I leave the church. Because I'm turning away from all those things that stole my attention from the Lord before. And I'm pushing my thought life, I'm pushing my vision toward the king and his kingdom. His grace has helped you, here to help you realign today. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Magnify the Lord with me. God, I know I can't make you any bigger in reality, but I can make you bigger in my vision. I can let you fill the entire field of focus in my life so that you and your kingdom and your priorities become my priorities and I I get involved in your kingdom and I get in relationship with you. I magnify you. Lord, I know that I've paid attention to many things that have sought to destroy me. But I believe your anointing is here to destroy every yoke of bondage so that I can refocus on you. Would you just lift your hand. If if this is really what you want, don't just participate in praise and worship because that's what everybody does, but if if you really want to focus on Jesus, would you just lift your hands with me right now? And let's magnify Him. Jesus. Jesus, you're great. You're bigger than any problem that I've faced, Lord Jesus. You're bigger than any sin that I've ever committed, God. There's nothing that you can't deliver me from. There is nothing that you can't change if I simply allow you to help me change. God, there's nothing that you cannot do in my life. Your arm is not shortened. You're not powerless, oh God, but you are great and you are mighty and you are holy and you are willing to work on my behalf and you are the doer of great things in my life and you are the giver of every blessing that I have in my life and you are the judge of what is right and good for me. God, you know what's right for me. You know what's best for me and I'm putting myself entirely in your hands, Lord Jesus. I magnify you, Jesus. Let's just praise the Lord right now. I magnify you, Jesus.
your focus off of what is overwhelming you and put your focus on me. Magnify me. Glorify me in everything that surrounds you will grow dim. Everything that seems like it can overtake you will fade away. If you'll just align yourself with me, if you'll just align yourself with me, all lift our hands across say God I don't want to magnify the things that will take me apart God I don't want to magnify the things that will drown me God I don't want to magnify the things that will pull me away from you and away from time with you and away from time in your word God Help me to not look at it as a burden, Lord God, but as a way to freedom, Lord Jesus. Freedom from what weighs me down, God. Freedom from the darkness that surrounds us all, God. I just want to magnify you, Jesus. I just want to glorify you, Jesus. I just want to lift you up, Jesus. Can we just magnify him right now? Can we just lift up a shout of praise right now? For his peace right now. Lord God, I ask that you go with every single one of these people in this house, Lord God, that you continue to bring to light the things that need to be out of focus, God, and continue to bring the light to things that we need to magnify, God, that we need to magnify you, God, that we need to refocus, Lord Jesus. Lord God, that it doesn't just stop here, Lord God, that we pray one simple prayer and then we think we can just keep going, God. No, we have to wake up every morning and make the conscious choice to magnify you instead of the things that are around us, God. We have to wake up every morning and make the conscious choice, Lord God. Help us to make that choice, Jesus. And Lord God, keep us safe and protect us until our next appointed time to come again as a body, Lord God. In your mighty name we pray, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Remember this week that midweek Bible study is on Tuesday and not on Wednesday. Can't wait to see everyone. And remember that we do have a prayer meeting tomorrow night live. So make sure you tune in for that. And then again, be here on Tuesday. In Jesus' name, you are dismissed.